Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 12 of the Triple F Podcast. The boys are rolling in hot, and you guess what? We're back again, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's episode 12 of the Triple F Podcast, and we got a special one for you this week. The boys, Eric, Dane, Britt, and Slade are here together once again, all together in one studio, ready to bring it to you this week on the Triple F Podcast, and we got one heck of an episode coming up. First off, we got to take a little bit of a solemn note, a little bit of a, you know, heart to heart, a beers up to our old coach. Coach Lee. Rest in peace to an absolute legend, an icon, uh, one of the greatest offensive minds this game has ever seen, and probably one of the best icons this game has ever seen. Uh, you got to love his ability to just be genuine in the moment, no matter uh, where it was, what microphone he had. Uh, he was 100% himself, so uh, hats off to uh, a great career, but an even better person, and Mike Leach. Uh, Dane, you want to help me pay respects? Yeah, so uh, Mike Leach, he's just – he's one of the all-timers. You know, he's just – he's always the funniest guy on any interview, and he just did not give a crap about anything. He would go – you could ask him a question about football, and he'd go on a rant about candy corn or eloping for your wedding. I've been seeing all these videos on Twitter, and as sad as it is, you know, it, it really brings light to the whole situation. And uh, I just – I kind of want to pay respect to him by talking about his coaching tree. Um, all these – uh, now coaches that have either coached under him or played for him in uh, his tenure at Tech. Um, just some notable names, uh, Dana, Dana Holgerson, who's the head coach at Houston, Cliff Kingsbury, he's at the Cardinals, Lincoln Riley, Sonny Dykes, he's at TCU, Dave Aranda at Baylor, Neil Brown at West Virginia. These are all head coaches, by the way. These are not assistants, all head coaches. Sonny Cumbie at Louisiana Tech. Josh Hupel at Tennessee, Seth Luttrell, who actually just got fired from UNT, but he's on there, um, Ken Wilson at Nevada, and Greg McMacken, from, that is the head coach at Hawaii. So that just kind of shows you the kind of impact and how, how much of a football guy he was and, and just what he knew and then what he, uh, what he passed down to everybody below him. I, yeah, for me, I can't even put into words how much Mike Leach meant to me. Like, So he was at Texas Tech from 2000 to 2009. Uh, so that was from when I was in kindergarten to when I was a freshman in high school. And, you know, I've talked about it on the show before. Growing up, I was a huge Texas Tech fan. We, we went to a ton of games. I bet you from that time that Mike Leach was there, I bet you we went to about probably two or three games a year, home games. I mean, we, we shared season tickets with my aunt and uncle, Beth and Richard, and um, – we, we were always getting down there to Lubbock. The first game I ever went to, I went with Chad Fangman. Fred and Sharon took me. We went down and watched it. I mean, this is going back. This is the Kingsbury days. This is the B.J. Simmons days. This is the Sonny Cumbie, Cody Hodges, the Graham Harrell, like the glory days of like the origination of the air raid. I mean, when these guys were throwing for 5,000 yards, you know, in a season and, and 40, 50 touchdowns. And, and um, you know, I, I have such a passion for college football and the energy and, and everything about it that it started there in Lubbock watching Mike Leach's teams and what he would do, the points he would put up. And, the, you know, he was going for it on fourth down when nobody else was. He, he did it before it was cool, you know, before analytics was even a thing. He was the gambler. He was the pirate, you know, swing your sword. His whole – everything that was Mike Leach was just so unique. It was so fun. And um, I really can't tell you how much he had an impact on my 
you know, football passion. And uh, another thing I was going to mention, Slade, do you remember, you, you might not remember this, Slade, you probably do, his, uh, you know, his uh, playlist, his, yes. his play sheet. Yes. I it do. was a three by five index card. Mm-hmm. And we got guys out there with encyclopedias now, and I got five huge poster boards that are looking at plays. He had a three by five index card. I just thought that was one of the coolest things about him. Yeah, he was kind of the king of, you know, football is simple technique. He always said uh, that technique was more important than the scheme. Uh, that was one of his favorite sound bites that he gave. And, uh, you know, he was just the guy of, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And, uh, you know, don't listen to your fat little girlfriends. Pay attention to your technique. Pay attention to what got you here. And, uh, I mean, we, we really did lose a good one. And so hats off to Mike Leach and rest in peace. And look at what he did for football in general. He was the original air raid. I mean, look at what college football has changed to now. And then now even look at the NFL. I mean, guys are pass happy all over the place, and it all stemmed from Mike Leach's brain, you know, and his air raid offense. It is a little bit of piece of that has been broken down and been taken by every single college and NFL program. I mean, you can't even put into words how big of an impact he had on the game of football. I mean, he he literally changed it. He even changed, you know, the way Alabama's playing out. You know, they were always defensive heavy, run heavy, and now they're throwing the ball around like crazy. And so that just kind of shows you the little impact he has. And and I remember watching a, a post, like a press conference interview after a game, and uh, they said, Coach, you you ran the ball five times, and you passed it 65 times. Why, why did you not run the ball more? And he said, why the hell would I run the ball? My running back was playing like garbage. He said, the pass was working. We won the game. Why are you asking me this? And that just kind of goes to show you that, like Slade and Eric said, like he – he didn't care about what he was supposed to do. He stuck to his guns, and he stuck to what he what worked best, and and I just I love it. The king of swing your sword. I mean, definitely, you know, we can sit here for days and talk about the greatness of Mike Leach and, you know, all that he's given to the game, and it's kind of weird because he falls three victories short of being in that 600 winning percentage uh, to get into the Hall- College Football Hall of Fame. So technically – he is not eligible. Is there any question that they will make an exception to let Mike Leach in? I mean, how do you not let a guy in that changed the game forever? You, there's no way they can't not let him in. He has to get in, and if he doesn't get in, then the whole College Football Hall of Fame is just garbage. It means nothing, and uh, they, they have to make an exception there, don't you think? Oh, I think so. Like, just another example of what an impact he's made. So the top five Heisman candidates – Three of those guys, three of those quarterbacks were coached by guys on your list, guys on his coaching tree. I mean, he he literally, the impact he's had, we can't, like you said, we could talk about it this whole broadcast. I could tell stories about him and go into those games uh, this entire time. But, yes, he should be in. What he did was it was unbelievable. And hats off to him and rest in peace to Michael Leach. Absolutely. And uh, one of the more recent encounters I had online with Mike Leach and seeing them was actually something to do with the transfer portal and not necessarily in Mike Leach's favor. A former Mississippi State guy going on and saying, you know, I'm transferring because I'm too soft and Coach Leach doesn't like me, which I, I feel like Mike Leach probably ate that shit up. I mean, I honestly I honestly think he probably laughed at that and got a, got a real kick out of it. But going in regards to, you know, the college football uh, – transfer portal do you guys feel like this kind of makes life harder or more exciting like from a fan's perspective whenever you're watching this 
Is it making it harder to fall in love with your team and its players, knowing that that's always a possibility, that they're just going to break your heart and come in and out year to year, Brent? Yeah, so with this whole transfer portal era, times have just changed. I mean, it's no longer a player, you know, making their commitment on 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 signing day of, hey, I'm going to go take my, I mean, I'm going to go to Texas Tech University or I'm going to go to Texas A&M University. And for the next four years, we're going to build a championship program and we're going to take this team to the next level. It is now, where can I go play immediately, right now? Where can I go play my first year? Where can I put an immediate impact on the field? And who's going to help me get to the NFL draft the fastest? And it's also, who's going to pay me the most money? You know, whether that be through NIL deals or whether it's under the table. So there's no more this loyalty towards a program anymore that you see. It's all about where can I go play right now and make a huge impact and go put up Heisman numbers. It's all about, you know, you guys just talked about the air raid. That has completely changed the quarterbacks and receivers' mindsets right now. It's who has the air raid offense that I can go put up uh, video game numbers and go make myself a candidate for the Heisman race or whether that be the NFL draft. So no more loyalty. Um, it's, it's, you know, they could love that university one day and then the next day the coach pisses them off. And so they want to go transfer out because they didn't get to wear sleeves for one of the games or they get, you know, you know, they get uh, banned for a game or whatever. So it's just kind of a bummer how, how things change so quickly from not only just year to year, but even just in the middle of the season, things can change so quickly. So hate to see it as a fan. Um, but at the same time, it's... <laughs> You know, you put yourself in those guys' shoes, you might be doing the same thing. It's hard for me to sit here and say that I wouldn't do some of the things that these guys have done. I mean, they're trying to think about their family and their career and they're, you know, making money and they're not going to be young and athletic forever. So part of me sees, you know, the side that they're on. But as as a fan, I don't love it whatsoever. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you can't you can't blame these guys because, you know, they're 19, 20 years old. And they're, you know, if you're going to get offered at 19 years old, if you get offered, you know, $100,000 or, I mean, a lot of these guys are making even more to go and play at a certain school. I mean, how are how are we to tell them they can't do that because they have to stay loyal? And, I mean, that, that part I get, but it has completely ruined college football and college basketball, college sports. Like, I mean, still love it, but I mean, it's just, it's taken everything out. You and like the coaches too, they have to recruit their teams every single year. It's not like, Hey, I got this guy. He's our guy. We're good there. Now let's go find some pieces to build on him with. It's just a complete shit show. I mean, you, you might get that five-star quarterback, bring him in. And then if you don't get the pieces right away around him, he's going to transfer off and go somewhere else. You know, tech had a basketball player, Fardaz, AMAC, he he just he decided he hadn't played all year and he's been hurt. And today he decided to just go ahead and pack up and transfer, which he can't play this year um, because he's been on Texas Tech's roster. So that's a little different. But like, I, I just don't understand how or why you would do that. And uh, a big reason, which I, I know a lot of team or a lot of schools are not like this, but Tech has uh, they've built up a system to where um Every single student athlete will get paid X amount of money as long as their grades are up. Like it's like $20,000 or something. It's nothing crazy. And so as long as they have a certain amount of grades, that is what they will get paid. Well, they, you only get paid if you don't enter the transfer portal on the first two days or something like that, that it's open. 
Well, those paychecks hit last night. And Texas Tech since then has had four athletes between the football and basketball program decide they're transferring today. And it's just it's just shitty, in my opinion. I know I'm getting on a rant here, but I just I hate it. The NIL deal, I hate it all. And just I wish they would just do away with it or at least make it to where if you transfer, you had to sit out a year like you used to. Yeah, we need to reel it in a little bit because it's kind of, we're kind of getting to the Wild West where it's like there's no rules. It's just like do whatever you want. And right. I feel like we need to reel it in just a little bit from where it's at. You know, we, we screenshotted a list earlier. A&M is leading with players in the transfer portal in college football. We got 20 guys out there. And it is disappointing. It no longer – developing players no longer matters. I mean, it doesn't – because you're not looking for – you're not trying to build a team three years from now anymore. You are literally only building next year's team, and that's it, which is crazy to even think about. You can't interrupt your mind. It's like A&M was built on bringing in those high-character, smart guys that work their butts off and then building a team. That's what – and every team that A&M has ever had that was good was built that way. We're not – A&M has not been built on bringing in the five stars and being flashy – and, and having all that talent right away. That's not how AM is built. So last year we get the number one recruiting class, all this hype. And, and there's been, there's no team camaraderie, there's no team building, there's no there's no playing for each other, there's no commitment. And you saw what we put on the field this year. I mean, it was just embarrassing, it was a disappointment. That's just not how AM is built. And so it's frustrating to me that now we gotta recruit our team for the just the next season only, every single year. And I think it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter to me that we have these guys in the transfer portal because we're going to go get guys out of the transfer portal. It doesn't matter if you have a good recruiting class because they're not going to be there a year from now, half of those guys anyway. So it, it just has completely changed everything. I don't love it either. I do feel like we need to reel it in a little bit. Like, I don't know what you do. I mean, I don't know if you say when you commit to a school and you, and you go there, you are, you have to stay there two years or, you know, something like, is there anything we can do to make it a little better? I don't know the answer to that, but I would like to see, Let's put a few more guidelines on it. I think you. I, I like that take of you know maybe you have to stay a certain amount of time. You have to work it out. But I'm I'm not saying that 18 year olds and 19 year olds are free of mistakes to where they can't make the wrong decision once. So if you go somewhere to a program and it's not what you thought, the culture isn't what you wanted, and you're having a rough time not fitting in with the coaching staff, I'm all for that freedom. I mean, like like we said, who am I to tell you that you can't? go make some money anywhere else or get yourself into a better situation for your future. But I think once you experience that and you're able to make that calculated decision twice, I think that's all it should be. I think your limited amount of transfers is what's going to make the biggest difference. I think you really have to be able to make a conscious decision rather than just jumping team to team. You know, like the grad transfers have been great for Texas Tech basketball last year. Our whole entire basketball team was almost grad transfers. I mean, guys that were given their second choice and really made the most of it, totally bought in. But then you see Fardal's AMAC going out, completely broke my heart. I have a lot of choice words to say about it. But really what it does to me most as a fan is just kills my entire emotional state. I'm so drained mentally trying to figure out and puzzle to pieces as to why they would leave. You know, why would Fardal's leave? Is it because... Our coaching staff isn't what he thought. Is it because the culture isn't fitting with him? Like, what does it say about our coaching staff and our program? Does he not believe in the future? There's so many questions that can just cause a fan to spiral out of control and really just lose faith in your program, but lose faith in those players 
And that's not what you want. You want to buy into the players. You want to buy into your coaching staff. And now I'm feeling like I have to buy into a coach as a recruiter. And I feel fortunate that Joey McGuire seems like the guy for Texas Tech football to build a team year in and year out through the transfer portal. He seems like such a lovable guy, really highly talked about among the coaching uh, you know, world and any kind of recruitment. They speak high levels of him. Um, but you got to look at it and, you know, you can complain this and that. Reggie Pearson, uh, amazing safety that played well towards the end of the year for Texas Tech. Now he's gone. And that sucks because I was really looking forward to watching him next year. But I tell you who I loved watching, Tyree Wilson, a guy who's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL this year um, by all means in regards as rankings and projections. It's looking like he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL. A uh, great guy for Texas Tech football. He was a transfer. Um, you know, if you want to be able to say that sucks for these guys to leave, well, you can't be excited when the great guys come in. You know, it swings both ways, but I think they do need to limit it to where you have to make the right decision and you can't just have talent jumping from team to team year in and year out. Well, Slade, you actually mentioned Tyree Wilson and how he was a transfer and how we all loved him because he was so great. Uh, not trying to, you know, ruffle any feathers, but he did come from Texas A&M, just saying. But uh, <laughs> anyways, back, back on to what Slade was saying about uh, – you got to limit the amount of transfers in order to stop all the madness. I think that we're kind of trending towards to where I don't think they will, but I think the only way they can kind of stop the whole NIL deal also, should there be a, a cap on what you can or cannot receive as a college football athlete? Because I feel like you should. And there's no college football athlete that should be able to make $8 million and they get offered you know, $10 million somewhere else. That, that just It just screws everything up. Well, I agree, Dane, because honestly, and, and you know, saying this, A&M is on the right side of this, but we are at such an advantage with our program compared to other schools. We, we you know, rich programs, you know, Texas and A&M and Alabama, they have all this money for boosters. They are able to give players huge NIL deals. You know it. And, and just from what we know, there's probably so much more going on under the table that we're not aware about. But you're right. Like we are at a huge advantage compared to smaller schools that don't have the opportunity to get those NIL deals. But it's almost like we need more rules on the NIL stuff too. It's like it's the wild west again. But but it's like I like your idea about maybe limiting the uh, number of times you can move because maybe that does put a little bit more pressure and thought into it. But one thing I was going to mention is you know we're kind of you know AM's pretty down on Jimbo right now and we're pretty upset. We're leading the transfer portal. Well, you don't have to go down very far and look who else is on there. Clemson. Alabama, Texas, Florida, Ole Miss, Georgia. I mean, well, Georgia's not on there, but you know, there's there's all these there's all these schools that we, we like their coaches. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't think anybody thinks Davo Sweeney's not the man or Nick Saban's not the man. So, you know, it's just it's one of those deals where this is the new reality. This is where it's at. We're just gonna have to adjust, and the coaches that adjust the fastest are are gonna be able to capitalize on it. Absolutely. I think, you know, one thing people understate is the level of competition that can push transfers out. Uh, you know, that's why you see those high level programs having so many transfers is because it's hard to get on the field at those places. And that's why I think it's OK if you're never going to get on the field and you think you can go to a smaller D1 or, you know, maybe one of those lower level schools and get your name out there and get yourself maybe with some draft looks by all means. But I think it needs to be regulated and I think it will. Um, but we talked about how it has a hard time, like, letting you fall in love with players. Well, guys, I hate to be a dick, but I don't. I have to tell you, one guy that I'm not in love with is the Heisman, Caleb Williams. I, I think he may be the most unlikable Heisman in recent history. 
Do you feel like, Britt, give me your feedback. Are you with me on this? Do you feel like Caleb Williams is kind of the most unlikable Heisman you've seen in a while? And do you feel like his kind of arrogance and this side of him that really I can't fall in love with, do you think that's going to have an effect on his NFL life and teams falling in love with him? Or do you think his talent is just too great to fall in love with? Yeah, Slade. So for one, I'm just going to start out by saying I hate Caleb Williams. I hate everything about him. He is <laughs> he is hard to like. He's hard to watch. His arrogance. I mean, you know, you got to have confidence in yourself when you're a quarterback and, and you're really good. And I, I respect that. But he kind of takes it a little too far. Um, do I think that's going to affect his draft? No. He's going to be the number one quarterback going next year's draft. Probably the number one pick overall. But I don't like him. You know, he pulls stunts. You know, you saw him play in the, the Pac-12 championship, and, and on his fingernails he had F Utah written on him, on, on each fingernail. And I think he did that the very first game too, and Utah beat him. And then he does it again for this championship thinking he's going to get some redemption. And they whoop his ass. And you just love to see that. Uh, I can't, can't remember his first – is it Cam Rising or what was Utah's quarterback? Yes, yes, Cam yes. Rising? No. Man, he was asked about it in the post-game conference, and, and he just had the best response. He, he just – he balled out for one in that game, and, and he just is like, yeah, I don't care. Like, look where that got him. I mean, kind of was just the bigger man in that situation. But Caleb Williams is hard to like, and uh, I don't like it, and it sucks because they're going to be damn good next year, you know, looking at USC. But uh, he'll be the number one quarterback to go in the draft. I don't think it's going to affect them. Yeah, so whenever, as much as I hate OU, whenever he came in against Texas and just tore it up, it was kind of hard not to watch that or look at the highlights and be like, dude, that kid's a stud. Like, you got you to gotta appreciate that. And then, you know, him packing up and, and transferring, like we were talking about, transferring and going with Lincoln Riley, you know, you kind of you kind of understand that because that's the guy who recruited him in general. That's the one, you know, you kind of understand. And he goes there, and we all know he's going to be good. And then – all of a sudden, there's just this level of arrogance that you just you just don't expect the way he acted at OU because, you know, even after Lincoln left before the bowl game, he was like he, – he just tweeted out there and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm not leaving. Like, I'm, I'm staying here. I'm playing in the bowl game. We're going to go win this for Sooner Nation. Then they win the next day he decides to enter the transfer board. So he was super likable until he pulled all those stunts and then did the F Utah like he said – and then, you know, he's just – that level of arrogance, it's not going to get you any – I mean, it will get you places, but, you know, he's starting to compare himself to Pat Mahomes. And it's like he started those. You know, Colin Cowherd was talking about it. You know, he was saying he could see resemblance, but you need to pump the brakes. Caleb Williams started that. He came out on a podcast and said, I don't think there's anything that Pat Mahomes can do that I can't. He started those rumors. He needs to pump the brakes, and he really needs to be humble. Yeah, I, I agree. I said it on last week's podcast. I didn't think there could be a more unlikable group of Heisman candidates. I thought all of them. I didn't want any of them to win. But we knew he would win. He was the heavy favorite in Vegas, and I don't think it was a surprise to anybody. Um, but the thing that I was going to say is, you know, Patrick Mahomes and his skill level, what makes him so great is he's very likable. He's very humble. He's very coachable. He's respectful. He, Patrick Mahomes – has won a Super Bowl, he won an MVP, and then he gets paid half a million dollars, half a billion dollar contract with the Chiefs. 503 million for 10 years, whatever it was. He has he had every excuse to just go be a douche and and to just be like, hey, I've I have everything in life that you want. And he could have been 
that arrogant a-hole that we all don't like to root for. And look what, you know, you find yourself rooting for Patrick Mahomes because he is such a good guy. Well, that's what's going to hurt Caleb Williams is when he's he's going to be humbled in the NFL and when he's refuses to be coachable and humble, it's going to backfire on him. And it, it will everybody will get humbled at some point. The NFL will do that to you. I think he's going to go to the worst team. But he's going to be like maybe not the Texans, but like next year's version of the Texans, right? And it will humble him. I think that it will catch up with him eventually. Yeah, I think where it will catch up with him is not so much in the draft because I do think he'll still be a number one overall pick or number one quarterback taken off the board for sure. But one place it's definitely going to have an effect is that locker room. I mean, if you don't come into some humility and, you know, just be able to willing to learn and accept your faults, um, that gets you into trouble real quickly because we've talked about on this podcast how important a locker room is and how vital it is to that NFL world where people are coming in and out. And uh, I think you've seen it with guys like uh, Jay Cutler, Johnny Manziel. Those guys are not likable personalities in the locker room. And that is the same exact thing that all the talent in the world, Jay Cutler, you know, one of the biggest arms. But did he last very long in the league? Did he bounce around? Did he ever have a star-studded roster that fell in love with him? No. And I think that's what exactly what's going to fall and happen to Caleb Williams. Um, so that's exactly where, where I see that going. Um, but one thing, you know, I, I didn't see coming is this Cowboys really close game to the Texans. Um, kind of a roller coaster of emotion for Cowboys fans. It's just been all over the place. You know, we're kind of used to this from the Cowboys. This is kind of the NFL in some sorts. Eric, do you feel like everybody's kind of overreacting to, you know, this roller coaster? Or is this real concerns for all the kind of up and downs despite winning games like this? Okay, I come out of that game encouraged for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think, as I said this last week, every win in the NFL is a big win. It doesn't matter who you play. Every team in the NFL has talent, and they and, and you can lose any given Sunday. So it was we won, first off. Was it pretty? No. We should have dominated the Texans. We were the better team. We were at home, but we had a letdown game. We had a poor performance. Our defense didn't have any sacks. We let them march the ball up and down. We had turnovers. I thought for 96% of that game, Dak played horrible. And I was on the phone with Brent. When the Cowboys get the ball at the very end, they got to go 98 yards to go win that game. I was on the phone with Brent. I was just like, I was like, dude, Dak could not have played worse to this point. I was very disappointed. But you know what he did? He had three of the best throws I've seen all year long in that final drive, let us 98 yards down, and he scored a touchdown. I am a Dak doubter. I am. And I've said that on here plenty of times. But that drive that he made at the end of the game was big boy football, and that was clutch throws, and we won the game. And that ultimately, that's what matters. It was not a good performance, but you're going to have letdowns in the NFL. Every single team does. But we got away with a victory. And I think I come away from that game encouraged as a Cowboys fan and not discouraged. I, I could not agree more, Eric. So what I was going to say about this is I liked this game for the Cowboys. This was good for them. We needed to be humbled a little bit. We needed to be knocked off our horse. Um, you know, it, we played terrible, but like Eric said, it's the fact that we came back and won and we came back and played well when it mattered, that very end, that last drive with Dak. So this was good. You know, we as Cowboys fans, we always get way overhyped and we always do this. And it's our fault as fans and, and Jerry Jones. And, you know, he likes the drama. He likes the, the attention. But this was good for the Cowboys Good teams find a way to win, and and it's okay. We're not going to beat every team by twenty points, and and I kind of love that the Eagles dominated this week, and 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 now all of a sudden they're back on top, and 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 
they're just going to destroy the Cowboys when we play them. I think it's Christmas Eve. So I cannot wait for that game. Uh, Micah Parsons talking smack on the radio. You love to see it. This game is going to be built up, and, and there's a very good chance that we meet the, meet the Eagles later in the playoffs when it really counts. But I love it. I love the confidence that they have in Micah Parsons, and, and I'm just extremely excited for this year. I was about to say that this is best-case scenario. That game was best-case scenario for the Cowboys and the Texans. The Cowboys, their letdown game was against a terrible team, and so they found a way to squeak out a win. You know, if they had a letdown game against the Eagles, they're screwed. You know, that, that's not going to help them at all. And, you know, you can get away with that with the Texans. And this was best-case scenario for the Texans. You don't win that game. The Texans did not <laughs> want to win that game as much as they acted like. I mean, the right. players probably do, but the organization was like, do not win this effing game. They wanted to stay away from that at all costs. Right, absolutely. And I think Eric brought up a good point because this was a game where you didn't see Micah Parsons take over the game on the defensive side. You didn't see any sacks. You didn't see that defense really carrying the team to the victory. Um, and you didn't see C.D. Lamb just absolutely carrying the receiving court. So what's going to be important for this Cowboys team, Colin Cowherd, I'm going to give him the credit. He said it on his show. What can Dak do? when everybody else plays average. What can Dak do whenever his stars of that team don't take over? That is going to determine the factor of whether he is worth the money, whether this team is a Super Bowl contender, because whenever those hard times hit in the playoffs and Michael Parsons is getting double teamed on every play, who is going to be the guy to step up? You need it to be Dak, and he did on the final drive. Yeah, he did, and it was clutch. But like one thing, too, we cannot – the run game was working. But we didn't run the ball. We cannot say, Dak, go throw the ball 45 times. He's not Patrick Mahomes. We know that. We all agree on that. Nobody argues it. So that was kind of what was bothering me. We were running the ball well. Zeke had, I thought, one of his best games of the season. He was running his ass off. And we were not we were not running the ball enough. We got down early. I felt like Kellen Moore panicked. We went straight to throwing the ball every down. And we got away from it. So we've got to support Dak by running the ball, especially when it's working, stick to it. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about sticking to stuff that works. Well, one thing that wasn't working until really that two-minute drill, we talked about it last week, Baker freaking Mayfield coming in on a short week. I don't think anybody could have predicted this. Coming in literally with two days to prepare for this offensive streak, two days to go in and get that scheme, and he comes in, catches lightning in a bottle, and finishes out that two-minute drive, wins the game in an electric fashion, you know, Baker Mayfield done it before. He did it his first game with the Cleveland Browns. Came in, two-minute drive, absolutely electric. We thought this is the guy. Now what are we thinking? He's on the Rams. Dane, do you feel like he kind of caught lightning in a bottle? Or do you feel like this is the Baker Mayfield that could connect with Sean McVay and be the heir to Matt Stafford? Well, I feel like this is kind of like let's sit around and wait and see what happens. I don't think that the, that we should be jumping ship. You know, there's a lot of people out there talking saying, who do you think is going to be the – starting quarterback next year for the Rams. Pump the brakes. You know, let, let's relax a little bit. It was a surprise to everybody. Good for Baker to, you know, get his little revenge. And, you know, as much – I'm an avid Baker hater. I've hated him for a <laughs> yes. long time. He's so easy to hate. But, you know, you kind of got to root for him in that situation. He, he got dealt a, a pretty bad hand there and wasn't very good in Carolina, and then he turns around – was with the teams for two or three days and then leads them on a 99-yard game-winning drive. You know, you got to kind of root for the guy in that situation. But I, th I think let's pump the brakes and 
You know, every single bit of me wanted to go and hammer whoever they were playing this next week. That was my thought whenever I was looking at my bet the farm picks. And I was like, I'm just going to pick whoever the Rams are playing. And then I saw they're playing the Packers, and the Packers are, are minus seven. I'm like, okay, I'll wait till next week. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree, Dane. Pump the brakes. Like, first of all, Matt Stafford is a gangster. Like, he will be their starting quarterback next year. He's awesome. I love him. But one thing that I just comes to mind is, and I don't like Baker Mayfield either. He's had his opportunities to be a great starting quarterback and lead teams that are very good around him. And he has failed. He has not taken advantage of those opportunities. He had a great roster with the Browns, and he totally just blew it, in my opinion. So, I'm not – I mean, what I thought he did was so impressive going and winning that game with, you know, having an offensive playbook that he's looked at for two days, and he can go do that. It's it, That's hard to do, you know, winning a, an NFL game. But let's let's slow down a little bit here. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Baker. The moment was not too big for him, and he made the clutch throws he had to make, and they went and won the game. But you know what this says to me? It's like this tells me how good of a coach is Sean McVay because – for those that don't know, in the NFL, the coach can talk in the headset and call plays until 15 seconds on the play clock. So Sean McVay is coaching him up from, you know, 40 seconds down to 15 seconds. He's telling him exactly what he needs to be looking at, what he needs to be doing, where everybody needs to be. He's coaching him up every single play. And that was impressive to me because Baker didn't know all those plays. He was getting told. I mean, Sean was telling him in his ear the whole time, hey, you need to look left. If the cornerback comes up, you throw it deep. If the cornerback says that, you know, he was telling him what to do. It made me think way highly of Sean McVay. I already think very highly of Sean McVay. It made me think, like, what a freaking animal of a coach. What an unbelievable, brilliant guy. Because I thought that was the most impressive part to me. Absolutely. I think you nailed it right there. Sean McVay, you know, we fall in love with coaches that can do it with the worst pieces, guys that can do it, you know, without all the help. We thought this was a loaded roster a year ago, and now you look at all their weapons. You know, Cooper Cup is out. Their running backs, Daryl Henderson is gone. Cam Akers is playing like absolute dog doo-doo. He's booty. And then their best wide receiver right now is Van Jefferson. Who? I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, you know, this is incredible what he did with this roster, with Baker Mayfield, with two days coming in and beating, you know, a, a team that has also struggled. But really, you take advantage of your opportunities in this league. And you've got to appreciate the heart and soul of Sean McVay being the energizer bunny out there. Um, I've been a big fan of his, even though he's in division rival for the Cardinals. Um, you know, he kicks Cliff's ass uh, twice a year, so it's fine, whatever. But we're going to move on to another guy that's kicking ass right now. And it's Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. He is Maybe the diamond in the rough that Shanahan has been searching for. Brent, do you feel like whenever you're watching Brock Purdy, it's only been two games, but he has looked absolutely stellar. Do you feel like this says more about Brock Purdy coming in and having that chip on his shoulder and, you know, letting it hang down to his ankles playing really well? Do you feel like they found the diamond in the rough, or do you think this is more about what Kyle Shanahan's system can do with anybody at the helm? Okay, so here's what I think, Slade. I think that. It's this roster, okay? Brock Purdy is stepping into the dream scenario as a backup quarterback anyone could ever dream of. This roster is absolutely ridiculous. But the cool thing is, is we're going to see what Brock Purdy is made out of. He's going to have to prove himself at some point when it really comes, when it really matters in the playoffs. So we're going to see what he's capable of. But, but you know, stepping onto the field with this team, 
he doesn't have to do a whole lot for them to be really good. And so I think it's going to be exciting to see what he does in the playoffs. One thing I'm going to say, and, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but we've seen a situation like this. You know, you look at Tom Brady, okay? He was sitting on the bench in year two, and Drew Bledsoe goes down, and he steps on the field, and this is in week two of his, of his second year. And he leads that team to a Super Bowl that year. And and that's what jump-started his career. And so am I saying that Brock Purdy is the next Tom Brady? Not necessarily, but he has that opportunity right now to make himself a name in this league. He has the opportunity to lead a team to a Super Bowl and get his name out there. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens this year and how he does in the playoffs. But it's going to be very fun to watch. They could still go, go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. He could not have stepped into a better situation. And, I mean – you know, he's kind of one of those guys when he gets drafted last, he's probably thinking, I'm going to be kicked around, practice squad to practice squad, and just have to jump around. Maybe I'll get an opportunity here or there. I guarantee he did not think that he would get a chance to start this year on this kind of team. You know, after Trey Lance and Jimmy G went down. But, uh, you know, whenever Jimmy G went down, I was like, you know, Brock Purdy's going to be kind of like a Jimmy G. They're not going to ask too much of him. They're just going to – let their playmakers and, and especially their defense win the games. But he goes out, he plays the Bucks, and he puts up a crazy stat line. He, he gets three touchdowns in his first start. How crazy is that? And, I, and I, I mean, I'm a big fan just because of the story. But one thing that just made me smile was watching a video of him after the game. He's walking out onto the field, and he's mic'd up, and he's just going, hey, where's Tom? Where, where's Tom Brady? You know, he, he's looking for his idol. Tom Brady has been playing NFL football longer than Brock Purdy has been for. I mean, that is insane just to it think is. about. And he just he just goes and he's like, hey, where's Tom? And Tom goes and shakes his hand and his eyes just light up. That just – it just is awesome. Football is just so freaking cool. It is cool. And did you see the video of his family in the stands? Like he's getting his first start and his dad's just tearing up. Their whole family's there supporting him. They're all fired up. But – what, what was crazy is it couldn't have been a better welcoming party for him because it's against Tom Brady and the Bucks. It's the Fox game of the week. And Fox actually cut away from it. It was such a blowout that Fox is like, like how often – I mean, I don't know that Fox has ever cut out of a Tom Brady game, ever, because he moves the needle. Anytime Tom's on, everybody's watching. But they literally cut away from the game because it was such an ass whipping. But it is kind of funny how we overreact because – you know, Jimmy G goes down. It's like, oh crap! This the 49ers are screwed. You know, now, now all their chances are done. Then Brock Purdy looks good, and now we're like, they're gonna win the Super Bowl with him. It's like, <laughs> it's like we, we are so we are so dramatic as fans, but that's right. We love football, and it's so much fun. And you can't ask for anything better than that. Do you think that Brock Purdy went into that game thinking that he would win it? Like, be honest. Do you think he was like, this is my first NFL start. I'm playing against the goat. I'm gonna win this game. There's not a damn chance he thought. I might disagree with you. I know that, you know, he, I don't think he's looking at it as it's me against Tom Brady. I think you have to look at it. It's my roster against theirs. And all these guys are alpha males. You know, you go in the NFL locker room. Most of these guys believe that they are the shit. You know, they all think, you know, I'm him. I was the guy at Iowa State. I set records, you know. I'm, I might be Mr. Irrelevant, but they don't know what I can do. And everybody talks about the balls that he has in practice. And, you know, leading up to this moment, they've always said, this guy's got some cojones on them, as uh, George Kittle would say, would say. And, I mean, I think that says enough to you to where he probably went to this game going, hey, I, I just have to play good enough. Like, I have to just play into the system. I have to play well enough. 
this roster and this team, this coaching staff can outplay the Buccaneers. And I think that's what's paying dividends for Brock Purdy right now. But one guy I know that probably isn't that happy, Dane said it earlier, Trey Lance. I mean, you think about him going down, you know, he came into the year and they finally said, you know what, we're going to give you the reins. It kind of seemed like he was a little pissed. He was kind of being, I don't want to say bratty, but he was upset because Jimmy G was still getting some love and respect. And, you know, it was still seeming like a competition and he felt like it should be his job. And, you know, rightfully so he got drafted high, you know, he's worked his butt off throughout the off season behind Jimmy G, whatever it may be. And he wanted it to be his. And he unfortunately goes down Jimmy G comes back in and plays well. And the and whole world is happy. And the whole world is happy. <laughs> People were saying, Colin Cowherd was saying, the 49ers are a better team right now with Jimmy G in, thanks to Trey Lance getting hurt. So Trey Lance is pissed. He's going down. He's like, I don't even have a chance to get acclimated. You know, I'm still learning. He's probably pissed. Well, then all of a sudden, the freaking third string comes in and is kicking the shit out of Tom Brady. And he's like, what? the hell like is it me or is it like I can't imagine what's going through his head I can't imagine how they're going to deal with this if Brock Purdy wins out and say he wins the freaking Super Bowl and keeps playing at the level he's at is there even a conversation or is he playing over Trey Lance uh, it, there's it's going to be crazy I'm going to add one more layer to that question Slade right now if you had to ask people the rumors that are going around out there and all sports media is where's Tom Brady going to play next year because we know it's not going to be Tampa Bay the 49ers are the are the favorites right now to land Tom Brady. So if you are Trey Lance, you are sitting there panicking a little bit because no one likes you. And then everybody else that's coming in behind you is playing really good. And then now there's talk about, you know, Tom Brady's his mom and dad live there in San Francisco and he's got a kid out there and he's got, you know, whatever he that's where he grew up. He wants to go back home. So I don't know what to do if you're Trey Lance. Now you're just sitting there kind of feeling sorry for yourself. Dude, that is worst case scenario for that guy. I mean, they, they finally gave him his shot and, you know, they were going to trade Jimmy G, but they didn't. And I mean, he just, he finally got his shot and then unfortunately got hurt. And then, and then like, who would have thought that Brock Purdy came in and like it, like y'all said, what if he does go in the Super Bowl? There's a very, very good chance. Cause I, I, I'm very confident in the 49ers defense. And I really think, that let's say Brock Purdy has a down a down game, then he could go. I mean, he could play horrible, and that defense is good enough to win them a playoff game, even if the quarterback play is just god awful. But that is only going to happen if Kyle Shanahan decides that he should not run up the gut with his star players like Debo Samuel. <laughs> are we are we all in agreements on that? Because he he needs to stop that. What makes Debo Samuel so special, though? I mean, he is a guy that is too big for the outside, uh, you know, DBs and everything else, and he's too athletic for linebackers to keep up with. So he's just kind of a guy that is unique. That's where he's won a lot of his money is in the trenches and coming out of those, you know, jet sweeps and off the screens. And that is an entire element to his offense. It's unfortunate that he gets hurt, and it's unfortunate that he has to use Debo Samuel in that way. But you paid that guy a lot of money, and you're going to get your money's worth and do what he does best. You're not just going to put him on the edge and have him run go routes because – that's not what makes Debo Samuel so special. Um, but talking about special, you know, we, we've had a lot of special drafts here on this podcast. And uh, I hate to say, we're about to have another freaking special draft here on the Triple F Podcast. We're going in with our coaching draft. We only saw it fitting with our beloved coach, Mike Leach, going down. We start thinking about the greatest offensive, defensive minds. Well, guess what? We're bringing you 
a coaching draft here on the Triple F Podcast. First round is head coaches, second round offensive coordinators, third round defensive coordinators. Britt Warbach has the number one pick on the Triple F Podcast, the coaching draft. Britt, take it away. Thank you, Slade. So just to clarify, we can do NFL or college. Is that correct? Correct. That's yes. correct. All time. Anything's okay. on the table, but as soon as one is taken, you can't – like the head coach is taken, okay. then you can't take him as a defensive or offense. Once one coach is taken, he's out. And I have one question for you all, too, to clarify. Are we – is there any part of this that, like, how they're going to get along? Does that factor into your coaching staff at all? I sure hope not because I haven't thought about that one bit. <laughs> okay, that's what <laughs> I didn't know. I feel like we're all going to have very different strategies, yeah. and I think it's what's going to make it special. Okay, okay. Whole, so if you were if, – if, if I can have a head coach – I'm going with Nick Saban. I think that when you when you think about college football, you think Alabama dynasty. He is literally the greatest college football coach of all time. We will talk about this man forever, what he has done, and how long he has reigned over college football. I'm going with Nick Saban as my head coach. That that's a great first pick. And did we did we? Explain that we're doing head coach, yes. then offensive coordinator, yes. then yes. defense coordinator. Okay, yes. okay. So Brent's head coach, Nick Saban. I mean, Brent taking one of the best coaches in history, college, NFL. You know, it doesn't matter when you think about football, you think about Nick Saban. Uh, tragic, that was going to be my number one pick. Between, am I, I'm, I'm fighting between two picks right now. And, you know, one coach I think I love more, so I think it's hard for me not to take him. But I think the obvious pick has to be taken it's the NFL coach, and it's Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time in the NFL. Um, did it for years. You know, everybody's kind of questioning him now a little bit after Tom Brady left. But really, whenever you think of NFL football, Bill Belichick will live on the Mount Rushmore for years and years and years, no matter who comes into the league. Bill Belichick, greatest head coach of all time in the NFL. Undoubtable. You have to take him. Okay, yeah, I think you do have to take that second pick. That's a great pick. I'm going to surprise some people here. Because this is, you know, I'm going to save a little bit for my offensive coordinator and my defense coordinator. But this is my head coach of my football team. This is who I want to be the face of my organization. I want my teams to be tough. I want my teams to be gritty. No-nonsense businessmen. Dan Campbell. So you- <laughs> Mike McCarthy. No, no. <laughs> okay, absolutely not Mike McCarthy. Okay, you give me Mike Tomlin. I'm going to surprise you guys with that pick. But I think that Mike Tomlin is so underrated in the way he takes care of business. He is a dog every single day. There's nobody better at the podium. I want him to be the face of my team, Mike Tomlin. Wow. Dude, that is an insane pick. I was not expecting that. He was on my defensive list. Um, just a little note on there, he's never had a losing season. I mean, that that is a great underdog pick right there. I, I really like that. But uh, – you know, every single bit of me really wants to take Robert Sala, head coach of the Jets. Right? <laughs> every single bit of me wants to do it, but I, I just I can't quite yet. So uh, I'm going old school. Give me Vince Lombardi. You know, he he's a classic. He's a five-time NFL champ and a two-time Super Bowl champ. They literally named the Super Bowl trophy after him. Um, all-time record, 105, 35, and 6. I mean, you you gotta you got to just take him when you can. Um, so let's switch it over to the offensive coordinator here. Man, I just – there's one guy i got – I got to take him. I got to take him. It may be recency bias. Give me Mike Leach. You oh, know, he, he he created the air raid. He is just a straight offensive-minded guy. 
I didn't think I would get offensive pick first, so I wasn't planning on taking him, but I, I have to. You got to take Mike Luke. Great pick. That I have two that are very high that I thought you would take one of and you didn't. So now that makes my choice very, very difficult. I'm going to leave somebody on the table here for Slade. So I'm, I'm going to go with my gut feeling. My gut feeling says, give me Andy Reid. The dude has been in the NFL forever, and he is a mastermind on offense. In his whole life, in his whole coaching career, he has been a mastermind. What he does with his weapons on the Chiefs is truly unbelievable. I I, I left some meat on the bone for you boys. There's a lot of guys out there. I still don't, yeah. But but give me Andy Reid. I think I think the dude is a fantastic, fantastic play caller. As we've seen and heard from last week's podcast, Dane tends to have a potty mouth and lose his shit when somebody steals his pick. And I just did, but I did it silently and respectfully for you Triple F fans out there. I'm pissed. I really thought somehow I was going to get Andy Reid as the third overall offensive coordinator. Breaks my heart. And now I'm between two guys as well. But I feel like I have to go with a guy who's had the most respect at the highest level. Um, you know, one guy that had, one guy that I'm thinking of, he's been the guru. He's been a guy that has just been so innovative in the Mike Leach coaching tree. But I'm taking the guy whose style of play I love, and I want him working well with Bill Belichick. I think they're going to have some bruising style of offensive. Give me Kyle Shanahan. Excellent pick, Slade. So this is very funny. I did not think I would have all of my choices <laughs> still at the table. I thought they would all be gone. So this is extremely tough. But And I was going to go a little bit of a different route, but with the way this is going, for my offensive coordinator, I want Sean McVay. I think that this whole, this whole, this young talent, this young coaching talent in the NFL, give me Sean McVay. Hey, before Brent goes into his defensive coordinator pick, I cannot believe Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury. Have uh, Cliff Kingsbury, when, can be my- whenever Eric went on his rant that he thought both of his was going to be taken, I really thought it was between Lincoln or Cliff, and I was really hoping he would go with Lincoln to make Slade take Cliff. I can't. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just. No. I'm, I might. I might fall down. I mean, there's no. T- <laughs> He's down. I'm He's right. down. Big, big tree fall hard. What? <laughs> what? Just, ladies and gentlemen, what the happened? whole beach just came down on the floorboard. Let me give you a play-by-play. We just saw Dave absolutely collapse. Eyes going fluttering. His legs gave out. Out from underneath him. Down on the ground. Big man down. Absolutely electric. Grace, there's a hole in our floor. <laughs> Lincoln Riley, the dude that has had what? three Heisman Trophy winners in the last five seasons or whatever it is, <laughs> I did not get taken. That's who I was between, and I can't believe it didn't get taken, but everybody thinks different. That's what makes this pretty Dude, cool. Lincoln Riley was the number one on my list, but I didn't think I'd have the number one pick, so I was like, okay, i got to take Mike Leach. That's who I thought I was going to take. I cannot believe how much y'all fumbled. Everybody's <laughs> I mean, mad at us. I, I literally was sitting there. I knew it was between Lincoln Riley and I was taking Andy, Andy Reid if it got to me. But then I look at, you know, we just, we were talking about before, who compliments who? Kyle Shanahan compliments Bill Belichick. I don't know. Can't believe Lincoln Riley didn't get picked. Absolutely bananas. Brent, you got the third third round pick. Go ahead. Give us Stevens <clears throat> coordinator. Okay, so I, I got to take him because I don't think he'll be here. Uh, my defensive coordinator, give me Dan Quinn. He's dialing up everything you can imagine this year. I'm loving what the Cowboys have on defense. Give me Dan Quinn without a doubt. 
you know, Dan Quinn, a guy that has really taken that defense to the next level. I mean, been an outstanding coordinator. I love the way his defensive plays. But I'm taking an all-time guy. It's Bill Parcells. I mean, just one of the staples in defense. You know, whenever you think of all the great defenses, you've got to think about LT and the Giants. I mean, just an all-time innovative mind. You love his personality. And I think I have three bruising personalities that are going to fit really well. Bill Parcells takes no shit from anybody, and neither do my other two coaches. I love my team. That's a great pick. That's a sneaky pick. I didn't even think about that one. I thought the defensive coordinator was the hardest because these are not the guys that are like, the headline guys is the offensive guys, so I'll go with Lincoln Riley. No, no. <laughs> yeah, Clinton's name, yeah. Okay, okay. He just, said it. It's just in the pod. Switch. <laughs> Absolutely. No defense on Eric. Stewart. Absolutely not on the Lincoln Riley calling my defensive plays. But hey, give me. So this one might surprise you guys. I'm gonna go with Todd Bowles. Now, has he been a great head coach for the Bucks? No. But when he was calling defense for the Bucks. He was all in. It was kind of a Dan Quinn situation where was he He was an unbelievable coordinator, jumps into the head coaching job, doesn't do good, and then goes back to the defensive coordinator. I can see Todd Bowles going back to a defensive coordinator job. I think what he did with those Bucks teams the last couple of years, two, three years, was unbelievable. Not as good as a head coach, but their team's falling apart. But I think the guy can call defense. Give me Todd Bowles. Hey, I just got to throw in real quick. He was a hell of a coordinator under Bruce Arians at the Arizona Cardinals. Whenever they had Carson Palmer and they were making, you know, what people thought were maybe Super Bowl runs, it ended up just being NFC Championship runs. Their defense played electric, and it was all because of Todd Bowles. And really, they didn't have that much talent, but they played well. I think it's a good sneaky under underlying pick. So uh, for my defensive coordinator, I was lost. So I, I had Saban at my number one. I figured he'd be taken as a head coach. So he was – Pretty much a scratch-off from the beginning. And then I also had Mike Tomlin. I kind of thought that he would be there, but he wouldn't. And so, you know, I was on the tractor day. I stripped Hillen and uh, got to thinking, I'm like, man, I don't really know very many defensive-minded guys. So I called the oldest person I knew, and that's Bernie Wick, my uncle. <laughs> so I called Bernie, and I said, hey, I said, hey, hey, Bern, let me know who the most, the most defensive-minded head coach you ever know is. And he said, Tom Landry. And I said, okay, sounds good. Give me Tom Landry as my defensive coordinator. Hey, hey, hey. Feel the burn, baby. Feel the burn. Hey. Hats off to Bernie Wake, an absolute icon. And what a freaking iconic draft. We could talk about this for days. But, ladies and gentlemen, we're getting late into the time. And we got to get rolling because we have an electric segment still coming up. You all know it, and you know it well. It's the Bet the Farm segment of the week. If there is ever a time to skip the Bet the Farm segment, it's this week. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you the Bet the Farm segment sponsored by the Beer Box. Stop by the Beer Box for all your liquor, wine, and beer needs. It is located at 705 South Main Street in Vega, Texas. Britt Rohrbach is the leader of the clubhouse sitting at 6 and 5. Go ahead, Britt. Thanks, Slade. So, uh, my lock of the week is going to be the Detroit Lions. They're playing the, the New York Jets this week, and uh, it's a pick meaning all the Lions have to do is win the game. Dane's sitting here flipping me off, giving me the bird, but give me the Lions. They're going to beat the Jets this week. That's my lock of the week. J-E-T-S! Jets! 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 
All right, good pick, Brent. Brent's been the only one to follow, the only one with a winning record. My record is four and seven. Not a shame. Not not proud of it. Got lots of time to get back to five hundred. We can still do it, but we're gonna need a big. You guys know I'm a, a big believer in the bounce back. Cowboys played bad. I think they play good. Jags killed my bet last week. They dominated the Titans. They played great. I think they play worse. So give me the Cowboys minus four in a bounce back week. I think they work over the Jags. I, don't, I think the Jags are pretenders. I don't think they're quite as good as we think they are. So Cowboys minus four at the Jaguars. So it's kind of funny. Usually my betting strategy for the weekend is go with my heart on Saturday for college football, lose a shit ton of money, and then go with a bunch of pros on Twitter and TikTok on Sunday. And uh, so, of course, I lost my ass on Saturday in the Army game. We all know i got to give up beer for Lynn, whatever. <laughs> and so on Sunday, I turn around and I just – Follow all the guys that uh, – all the pros that bet on there. And they, they picked against Brent and Eric's locks of the week. And I was like, I'm putting, I'm putting the pros over the FFF. And it worked out for me. And so now I'm going back to my gut. Going to lose again, probably. I'm 2-8-1. and one. Eric was talking about a bounce back league. He's taking the Cowboys now. I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm going – Chiefs had a letdown game last week against the Broncos. They should have whooped them. And they're playing the Texans. And the Texans played higher than they should have. Chiefs are minus 14. That is a lot of points in the NFL. I, I'm, I hammer it. I don't know. <laughs> Bet the farm, people. Bet the farm. We cannot lose this many bets. In no. We, we, we will get rolling. It feels like we're, we're due for a 3-0. I yes, agree. absolutely due. Due for a 3-0 week and due for another freaking banger of the week. Brent Rohrbach, the man, the myth, the legend. Brent, take us home with your banger of the week. Thank you, Slade. Well, thank you all for listening. It is, uh, it's so fun. We love to hear y'all's feedback. Uh, make sure you go follow us on social media. Our handle is at Triple F Podcasting. Uh, hope y'all have a great weekend. Um, so this banger of the week, it's called Sixes to Nines by Big Wild. It's an absolute banger to get the mood right. That's our banger of the week. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Boys, you're gonna have to drink all those beers if y'all leave. (laughs) Oh shit.